So over the past two months, um, I've really been addressing the compromises in the American church. And um, it's been going on for a couple of months. I had no plans. to. I didn't write this out, hadn't planned on it. It was just kind of spontaneous. But here we are. This is, uh, less, this is week number eight where we've been on this theme. This is the whole summer. And I think, here's what I believe. I believe God is getting us ready for something in our future. And he's get, we have a window of opportunity right now for God to work in us and clean us up because we're going to need him. I think in a way I've never needed him in my personal life. And I've known the Lord this year for 43 years. But, but in our future, there's stuff coming that, uh, you know, I can't, I, I can't pray it away. You can't fast it away. You can't believe it away. It's coming. So we just need to be ready. And God loves us enough to get us ready. How many know that? So last week I asked the question, are you really walking with God? And I, <clears throat> I uh, talked about a, a term that uh, John Wesley, founder of Methodism, uh, sort of coined. He said there are those that have a mental assent salvation. That is, they mentally say yes to the truths of Scripture, but it never really affects their lifestyle. So so they're, they're a believer in name only, perhaps. So, um, so I want to uh, uh, go on that vein again today. And today I want to ask you a question. Are you a true or false believer? Now, that's a little challenging. Now, again, my, my reason for doing this, because as a pastor, you know, we, uh, pastors in, in church, local churches all over America, we need to deal with the problems in our culture, and we don't need to act like they're not there, because we live in them every day. You, you go out the walls of this building, and life is different. Would you agree? It's different for everybody, from kindergarten on up. Would you agree? So, so we need to be real about stuff, and, and the facade day is done. And if you're going to live a facade life, challenges are coming, y'all. We need to get ready. So nonetheless, here's a scripture I just uh, wrote, was reminded of and gave it to our guy, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. I mentioned it, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you're disqualified. But I trust that you will, um, you will know that you are not disqualified. So today, again, I want to talk about True and false believers throughout the American church, really the world, there are, there are both committed believers and then those who say they're believers, but they really aren't living the believer's lifestyle. How many hear me? You know, I can say as pers from personal experience, I, I went over it again in my mind this week, uh, how at age eight, um, that was 1966 for me, I'd never forget I bowed my knee to Jesus. I was baptized in water. The next day was a Monday. I was baptized at 6 o'clock at night on a, on a Sunday night. And then the next day I was in school at recess. And I'll never forget walking around the school ground thinking, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm going to I was excited. But y'all, I fell away from God. And uh, so I'm talking about, are oh, you true and a false believer? Because there was a point in my life I was a false believer. That is, I was going to church doing everything church people do. But on the inside, I wasn't living for God. And I got around the wrong kind of people and got involved in drugs and all the mess that goes along with, you know, smoking pot and, you know, doing, uh, doing other drugs and stuff. And, uh, and it, wasn't, it wasn't a nice scene. And so, uh, and, but the deal was, I was in the youth choir. I went to church three times a week and Monday through Friday smoked pot at school. I mean, come on, y'all, come on. The guy that led me into drug, my drug life was a couple of years older than me. He was also in my church. He was, the, he was one of the main deacon's sons. Okay? So when I talk about this, it hits home to me. Because I used to be there. But by the grace of God, I still would be. How many hear me? So, you know, uh, so, so then my drug buddies, they went to church with me. We lusted. We did all kinds, all the stuff that people that, you know... Mess with this, these illicit things. That this, that we did all the things they do. And we would sing the praises of God and then go off and, and just be a mess. That's the way it was. Well, you know, we're dealing now in our, our nation. Here's a big billionaire just committed suicide in a New York City uh, prison because he was a pedophile. And he got caught. And now he's dead and they don't know why he's dead. Did somebody take his life? Everything's lit up with that now. Because big name people been found out. Huh? Politicians, business people, 
all kinds of people that are well known, been found out, been going to the houses that he had in various places in the world and having sex with young girls underage. Duplicity is a huge possibility in life. Yes or no? You can smile and you never know what's behind that smile. Is it true? Um, years ago, it kind of shocked me. It was a media personality I happened to like. And uh, he, he, he was uh, actually on a treadmill and had a heart attack and died. And he was the kindest, sweetest guy just in his mannerisms, the way he interviewed people and such. And I just personally liked the guy. And then it was just a real shock to find out. And nobody knew until after he died, he had a mistress on the side. His wife didn't know. Yeah. Happens all the time, right? Hmm. Getting quiet now. In the 1980s, I was in a large church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and... Um, we had this one guy who was very effervescent. That means he had a really sanguine personality, very outgoing, shaking everybody's hand, really nice, really sweet kind of good-looking guy, Italian-looking guy, just a great guy, had three children, wife. I mean, just look, had a successful business, traveled all the time, but was always in church, always helping us out. He came to my office one day. Now, y'all, you know, this, this shocked me. I was in my 20s, mid-20s. He came to my office one day and said, I need help. I said, okay, what's going on, man? He said, when I leave town, he said, I sleep with men. I'm a homosexual. Nobody knows, not even my wife. I said, Jesus, help us. Yeah. When I left, I moved away from Tulsa, come back to Carolinas to do church work. And, uh, and uh, they told me that he, he left church, left God, changed his name to a woman's name. Now, he was in church with me, y'all. You get that, right? Say, so why are you talking about this? Why are you talking about this kind of stuff, pastor? People, people can change their sexes now, and they do that all the time in our culture, uh, by yourself and without God. How many hear me? You do that without God. How many hear me? He loves you. These are the kinds of things we're dealing with. Um, I had a Christian bookstore owner. This is, again, when I was in my 20s. He had one of the large Christian bookstores, and at the time, you didn't have the Internet and all that, so bookstores were the place, you know. So he had a huge bookstore and had several of them in Tulsa, and he owned one of them, and he was very successful. And uh, you know, he just sat down in my office one day and said, um, I'm a homosexual. And he said, I think you can be a homosexual and be a Christian. And I said, now you know God loves you. But you can't be a homosexual and a Christian at the same time. How many hear me? Just like you can't be a Christian prostitute. Huh? A Christian mafia chieftain. No, I don't think so. How many hear me? Several years ago, and this one hit really home and hurt me, I had a pastor friend. When I moved back to the Carolinas in 1988, uh, I was alone. Uh, Susan and I had two children. She was pregnant with Jessica, number three, and I needed friends. And I went from a big town to a small town. And y'all, it, it just, man, it ate my lunch. It was hard. Emotionally terrible, hard. Starting a church in a small town that had no church like ours, it was hard, tough. Didn't have the support you have today. And uh, so I started to go find out uh, there's a pastor that invited other pastors to his house. And so we had a whole group of pastors once a month meeting this guy's house. He was the kindest guy, sweetest guy. Him and his wife, just model, just model believers, just sweet as pudding. I mean, just great. Had a thriving church doing really, really well. He was, became a friend of mine. So I went to his house every single month. I think it started uh, uh, fall of 1988, 89, 90, 91, all that. And then Susan and I, <clears throat> after I uh, raised the church up and turned it over to somebody and I was in the traveling ministry, I actually attended this guy's church, which was 70 miles from our house because I liked him that much. You remember that? And <clears throat> we took our kids and, wow, what a story. But, um, <clears throat> but it later came out that, um, in fact, his associate pastor called me and talked to me. He said, I want you to know what happened. He named my friend's name. And he said, uh, and this is my pastor friend that invited me into his house. He's, of, of that guy, the associate pastor said, well, he's been caught in adultery for eight years with my wife. 
duplicity, living a double life. So here's a guy that was a pastor in the church. He had a big church, y'all. And he's sleeping with, committing adultery with the associate pastor's wife. Raising his hands, preaching the word, laying hands on the sick. I know I'm looking at your expressions like, Jesus, help us. Y'all, that happens all the time. Did you hear me? All throughout our culture, America is enmeshed in this idea that you can be one thing in public and another thing in private. And God is calling all of that to a halt. And let me tell you again where we are. We have a window of opportunity. So if I'm talking and this stuff's hitting home with you or somebody you know, see, there's a window of opportunity. Maybe you're watching and I've just been talking about you. The Father God loves us so deeply. He gives space for repentance. David committed uh, adultery with a woman, Bathsheba, who exposed herself to him on top of the house, which is common in the Middle East. And David committed adultery so much she got pregnant. He killed her husband. God said of David, a man after my own heart in Acts chapter 7. Why did I say that? I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how many times you've done it. The grace of God will forgive and cleanse. But the first, pro, first prerequisite is you've got to be honest with yourself. How many hear me? Without honesty... Without owning what you do, you can never get over it. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this in weeks to come. David said, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. He didn't say, well, Bathsheba's a problem. She exposed herself to me. And if she hadn't have been, if she'd been wearing some clothes, I wouldn't have done it. He didn't blame it on her. He blamed it on him. He was full of lust. He did it. He had choices. And until we own who we are, we can't get over who we are. Did you get that? That was all free. It's not even in my notes. See? So I got six points to make today. Let me make them hopefully quickly. I just got a few minutes for each one. Number one. Number one. Y'all with me? Get your attention? Thought so. Number one, God's love for us, as I mentioned this last week, God's love for us is based on a foundation of justice, and we have forgotten this today. And, and let me skip ahead here. I was thinking about this yesterday. See, God's love is based on justice. I mentioned this last week. I need to say this again. I probably need to say it for a while. You hear it all the time in the music that we sing, in the songs that are written, in the sermons that are preached. God loves you. Well, he does. And so we equate God's love with his acceptance of everything we are. And we even say, God loves you just the way you are. But we forget the comma. He loves us just the way we are, but he doesn't leave us the way we are. His love changes us. The grace of God changes us. How many hear me? And I'm fairly convinced, and for years I've wrestled with several passages, that um, Paul writing to a young minister, Timothy, mentioned in 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4, I'll just address that today, leave the other one for another day. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly in the last days some will turn away from the true faith. They'll follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. I always wondered what the deceptive spirits are and the teachings that come from demons. And here's what I believe it is. Any teaching that tells you that God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, and loves you just the way you are, and you can live any way you live, do anything you want to do, and if you just pray a simple sinner's prayer and you don't change, I don't care who you are and what you've been doing, it, whether you change or not, you pray that prayer, you're going to heaven. Without change, the Holy Spirit is not working in us. How many hear what I just said? So again, what is the false doctrine? The love of God minus the holiness of God. The love of God minus the justice of God, the judgment of God. There is that side to God. Why, why did Jesus come? Yes, God so loved the world. Why did, why did Jesus come? We've forgotten that although God is love, he's also pure and holy. And the entire reason that Jesus came in, as God in human form is so he could bear our sin penalty for our personal wrongdoing. And then we could be acquitted of sin. 
and have our sins not just forgiven, expunged would be the legal term. Expunged means there's no record of the wrong. Well, why is that even important if God's not holy? If God loves us, why can't he just forgive us? Because God has to not only be loved and not only is he holy, but he's also just. And if God just forgave us and led us into heaven because he loves us, then Satan would come up to God and say, and wag his finger in his face and say, I got a problem with you. You don't have the right to be God. You're supposed to be perfect to be God. You're not. You're imperfect. You, you, you show respect of persons. You kick me out of heaven, but you let these people in just because you love them. It's not just. It's not fair. You say, I got to spend eternity in the lake of fire. And you let them go free and go to heaven. They're as bad as me. And so God, because he's just, said, no, I, my love must be based on justice. So God himself took it in his own hands to deal with our personal sin. And Jesus became incarnate. God made flesh. And God himself, in Jesus' body and in Jesus' spirit, bore the penalty for my sin and yours. It's all based on his love, but his love is based on justice. How many get it? God loves us. But he's also just and pure and holy. And when we forget that, then we think, well, because God loves me, then any lifestyle goes. I can do anything I want to do, anytime I want to do it, and it doesn't really matter. No, no, no. God is holy and pure. And Jesus came to make us holy and pure. Jesus came to transform our lives. Jesus came so we could be born again and pass from death unto life, so our sins could be cleansed, so we don't have to follow the paths of sin anymore. Yes or no? Number two, that okay? Secondly, repentance is the difference between true and false believers today. Repentance. Yeah. Many today say they're Christians attend church, but their lifestyle Never changed when they, quote, accepted Christ. Y'all, I've been in ministry since 1981. I've seen a lot of people raise their hands, pray the, quote, unquote, sinner's prayer, go their way. Lifestyle never changed. And they finally fell away. Why? It was mental ascent. They had an emotional experience, but they really weren't sorry for their sin. Not sorry enough to change their way. How many hear me? We don't hear anything hardly preached today about repentance. The first sermon preached after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, which was a Jewish feast day when the Holy Spirit fell on the believers after Jesus ascended to heaven, Peter, Peter who denied Jesus three times, Peter who was a mess, the Holy Spirit transformed him. So you know what? If you're a mess... The Holy Spirit can transform you. And God used the guy who, who, who just rejected the Lord more than the other disciples to preach an amazing sermon. And he said, Peter's words pierced their hearts, the scripture says. He preached a huge sermon. And they said to him, those that were listening, they said to him and the other apostles, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So he said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Today, it's just pray the simple prayer and add Jesus to your life. No, no, no. Repentance is the first thing. And most people, you know, don't understand what I mean because repentance is not a word we use in our conversation in the 21st century. Repentance. In repentance, we turn away from our sin. And we turn to Jesus for forgiveness. How many hear me? No, it's not that we just, we, we don't just pray because we feel bad and accept Jesus and then keep on living the way we've been living. If that happens, no repentance occurred. No, no, repentance. Repentance, the Greek word means, it's, it's the Greek word metaneo, and it means a decision. Listen to this, direct definition. Greek dictionary, a, a decision that results in a change of mind and that results in a change of purpose and action. Did you hear that? So see, repentance is, is more than just praying a prayer. Repentance is, whoa, what have I done? Where have I been? 
What am I doing with my life? I, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm in sin. I, I'm going to hell if I die. God holds me accountable for my sin. I can do nothing to forgive my own sin. God is holy and pure. And I've got to turn, come to terms with who I am and what I've done. And repentance said, God, I alone am responsible for my life. Because your presence has come on in me and you've convicted me of the things I've done that nobody knows. Some people know some things, but they don't know everything. But God, you know all. You've convicted me. You know what? I don't want to go there and I'm sorry. And Lord, help me by your grace to turn around and forsake what I've been doing, what I've been living, where I've been, been going, who I've been with, and what I idolize in life. And help me to seek you first. How many know that's repentance? And Lord, by faith, I place my confidence in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And beginning today, I take my will and lay it at your feet and say, Lord, it's not my will, your will be done. If my habits are wrong, change my habits. If my friends are wrong, change my friends. If my lifestyle is wrong, change my lifestyle. My friends that is repentance. And without that, there is no repentance. How many hear that? Uh, so, four questions. Four questions that we can ask ourselves. So, um, and I've said these in various ways over the past couple of weeks. I'm going to re reiterate some of them. Did your lifestyle change when you met Jesus? Ask yourself. Or have you simply continued on in the lifestyle you've been living before you came to Jesus? No, I came back to Jesus I came to Jesus first time at age, 18, uh, age 8, and I really believe I had an experience with God because I had a sensitive heart to the Lord for a long time, but got around the wrong friends as I got into middle school and then high school particularly, and you know, I'm an unusual person. I graduated from high school at age 16. That means I was 15 going into my senior year. That's a bit unusual. I took two grades in one and started school at age five instead of six like most people. So um, a little bit different, but nonetheless, the friends I had led me away. I, how many know the friends you have? The people you, that you associate with can either make you or break you. I've got this quote from uh, J. Oswald Sanders said, the person you are five, five years from now will be determined by the kinds of books you read and the people that you entertain as friends. How I many know it's important? So I fell away. And I just knew that I knew, and many times I would be in church, and I just knew that I knew that um, if I died, I'd go to hell. And I'd already made Jesus Lord. But I knew within me this is bad. This is a bad deal. I, I lost my eyesight one time. I've told you guys this many times. I smoking a reefer, it's pot weed, whatever you want to call it. And I saw myself dead, laid out on a gurney, and it was such a uh, strange experience. I still remember it like yesterday. I still think about it. I can't get away from it. But I just knew if I died that day, I'd go to hell. Even though I prayed when I was eight years old because I was living wrong. You can't pray and make Jesus Lord and still live wrong and go to heaven. Now, that's a challenge. I'm not saying you don't have problems and challenges, but you're not seeking the problem. You're not, you're not living that lifestyle. If you've prayed and, you're see and, and you, you've made Jesus Lord, but you still have secret sins that beset you, little things that come in, little foxes that spoil the vines, as Song of Solomon says, little things that that are temptations to you, and sometimes you yield to them, to them. The difference is, when you do, you feel bad. And you have to say, God, I'm sorry, I don't need to be doing that. Forgive me, help me not to do that. How many know that's, a diff that's different than going headlong into a lifestyle of doing wrong and you don't care? That's where I was as a teenager. How many understand that? Number two, are you seeking to walk with God in purity, or do you compromise because of the grace of God that forgives and cleanses? So there's a... Michael Brown calls it a hyper-grace movement in the past dozen years or so. A lot of people have written books about the grace message. And, and they've taken grace. Hyper-grace is grace to the extreme. Grace that allows you to come to Jesus, but 
while you're with Jesus, live any way you want to live and still say, I'm a child of God. When I die, I'm going to heaven. There is no scripture in the New Testament that promises me if I live wrong that I'm going to go through those pearly gates of heaven into eternity with Jesus. That went over big. But there's no scripture that says that. Nothing. Nothing in the New Testament points to that direction. Yes, we're not saved by works. We are saved by the grace of God. But the grace of God empowers us to live a different way. How many hear me? Number three. Do you feel that no matter how you live, you'll go to heaven? Similar to two. Number four. Have you had a time, I mentioned this last week, a time in uh, your life? That you really felt convicted of your personal sin and then you repented of sin and asked Jesus to cleanse you. See, that's, that's the difference. So I encourage you, think about that. Number three, a false believer's lifestyle, there's true believers, false believers. A false believer's lifestyle has not changed. A true believer's had a behavior change. Though he's not perfect, though she's not perfect, though they still have things they wrestle with in life. The common denominator underneath the surface is, I want to walk with God, and I, the very thing I do, I don't want to do. Right? Got it? That's the difference. True believers had a behavior change, or that person has really not met Jesus and had their sins forgiven. A false believer's lifestyle has not changed. Listen to, the, again, I didn't, now let's listen to the Lord Jesus. He addresses this very clearly because he had... He had religious people of, of his day that, that um, challenged him more than anybody in their whole culture in the Middle East. It was the Pharisees that challenged Jesus the most. And they looked the most, they, they looked the most perfect. They had the perfect attire. They had the perfect words. They knew just what to do. They followed the letter of the law, but they didn't know God in their heart. And they missed the whole thing. And so he says this, Matthew 7, beginning with verse 13, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. The gate is wide for many who choose that way. Did you hear what I just read? Jesus said the highway to hell is what? Say it again. Say it again. And the gate is what? Say it again. Wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is what? Very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few find it. To hear most people talk, everybody's going to heaven. That's opposite of what Jesus said. He said the way's narrow. Confi other translations say confined. Then he said, starting verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves, probably talking about the Pharisees of his day. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. I mean, he just keeps going. He doesn't stop. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Now, again, I mentioned this last week. Today, there's a no-judgment zone in America. You can't judge me. You can't judge what, I, what the Bible says what you are by your fruits. Yes or no? That's not saying why a person does something. You may have had this happen, that happened, the other happened. Lots of influences in life cause us to do what we do. But how many know, regardless of the influences, we are responsible for us? Yes or no? David didn't say, well, my mama didn't love me like she should. And my daddy w wasn't paying attention to me. And so Bathsheba paid attention to me because she, she was naked. So I went and had sex with her. And then I killed her husband. But see, that's not my fault. My family was messed up. That's what we do today. My friends, yes. Do we have to overcome the challenges of our past? Yes. Do we have to deal with the emotional abuses, the mental challenges that we face based on the, uh, the broken homes that many of us come from? Absolutely. But where does change begin? When I take responsibility for me. Yes or no? You can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. Wow. 
On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and perform many miracles in your name. So, you know, you could be in ministry. So let me ask you a question. My pastor friend that I really love, he's preaching the word on Sundays, laying hands on the sick, but committing adultery with his associate pastor's wife during the week. He has, a, he, has a, he has a car accident or a heart attack, dies immediately. Does he go to heaven as an adulterer? Boy, you better think about that one, right? Huh? Sir, so you're here, but you got a mistress or a mister, and you're not married to him, and you're married to somebody else. What happens when you die? Right? Yes? Why is nobody talking about this? Our nation is full of this. Every one of us probably has an element of hypocrisy in us that God needs to root out. Yes or no? We put our best face on for everybody else. But God knows the true us. That's what Jesus was saying here. Wow. Wow. On judgment day, many will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now let me say, my friend I mentioned, he was 65 years old, he was in Vietnam, and he became a pastor, and he pastored for a long time. And then he committed adultery for eight years, and nobody knew. And then he was defrocked of his ministry, and someone else had to take over his church. He was in Vietnam and contracted cancer from Agent Orange and at age 65 died. Sad. Did he go to heaven? Well, let me tell you how good God is. If he saw the error of his way and repented of his sin and said, God, I messed up for all those years. I, I hurt people. I hurt my own children. I hurt my wife. I hurt my church. People have left God. And never come back because of the hypocrisy of the pastor, and that was me. If he said that and said, God, I repent, I was wrong, I've sinned, then you know what? When I get to heaven, I'll get to embrace him and say, there you are. Yes or no? The challenge is you think, well, I, you say, well, that's fine then, pastor. I can keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. How do you know you got a second chance? What if you died instantly? See, you're banking on the wrong idea, right? Y'all, and, and I told you this so many times, July 20th, 1975, I was 16 years old. I just graduated from high school. I just got back from Carowinds with my then-girlfriend. Thank God for my lovely wife today. That girl led me away from God. She was not good for me. We got home early in the morning from Carowinds, like 3 o'clock in the morning. And then my parents made me go to church the next day. I went to church, sleepy. She's with me. I went and picked her up. She wouldn't go to church without me, the girlfriend. So we're sitting on the back row, and I'm nodding off, you know, and all while the preacher's preaching. But I'll never forget, I saw his, he had, he had black rim glasses, and he was standing right here. You got a piano right over here. And he was standing right beside the podium. And I still, in my mind's eye, I'm on the back row. And he said, you may never have another opportunity to get right with God. You may go to hell today. And he pointed his finger like that. I never forgot that. So we stood up. He gave an altar call, we call it, for people to come to Jesus. And, and you know, the Holy Spirit dealt with me. Mitch, you're in sin. You're wrong. You need to get right. You're, you're messing up real bad. You need to repent. You need to stop. I held on, had a pew in front. I held on to that pew. Turned my knuckles white. I ain't going today. Because this girl would think, you're crazy. You ain't going to have me if you're going to have him. I said, well, I want you. I left the church. Five minutes later, totaled my car. How many hear me? And I don't know what apparatus is in the human brain, but I tell you it's like a, a supernatural video you see your whole life. And all that you have not, shouldn't have been doing is like, Phew, when you think you're about to die. And it's right in front of you. And after the accident, 
I don't have time to tell the whole thing. I thought, I'm still here. I'm in my body. And I said, God, thank you for not letting me go to hell today. How many hear me? Anyway, number four, true and false believers will be together until Jesus comes. Now, here's a, here's a parable Jesus told, call, uh, and he calls true believers wheat, false believers weeds. It's interesting, right? So in churches all over America, all over the world for that matter, are people who say they're Christians, but their way of life betrays what they say they believe about Jesus. So watch this. Matthew 13, here's a parable Jesus told. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow, produce grain, the weeds grew. The farmer's, work, farmer, uh, farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where do they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until harvest. Then I'll tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them and put the wheat into the barn. And then Jesus explained the parable very clearly to his disciples. Leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. The good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will remove from His kingdom. Did you notice He didn't say from the world? He said from His kingdom. That is from the church world. From His kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. In churches today, we have both the weeds and the wheat. True believers, false believers. True believers have given their will to Jesus and have made a choice to submit all they have and do to him. They have chosen to seek God first in all of life and abandon the things they know are wrong. False believers say they're Christians, but they do not seek to walk in purity and holiness before God. The word for their life is duplicity. They do one thing in the dark and by themselves and another thing in public. They have no conscience that resists sin. They exploit the grace of God into a reason for living a lifestyle in an immoral or living as a reason for living in an immoral, self-pleasing, prideful, and self-centered lifestyle. Wow. Weeds and wheat. So, you know, I believe, I think all of y'all are wheat. Yeah? But challenge yourself if you got some weed stuff working in you. How many hear me? That's just my South Carolina way of saying it. I'm almost done. And number five, you know, this is one, uh, I, th- I think this is one book of the Bible I've actually never preached on on Sunday morning. Jude. The book of Jude has one chapter. And Jude is a challenging dude. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. The book of Jude is a clear warning for those living in a day where true and false believers are together. It's a warning. He says, I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father, uh, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. He's starting off real sweet. Then he says, Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. You know what this reminds me of? My daddy would come up to me sometimes and says, Mitch, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. He said, how's school? I said, it's good. How you doing with your friends? I said, it's good. I said, how you doing, daddy? He said, I'm good. And then he would say, Mitch, and I've heard this a thousand, Mitch, I got a bone to pick with you. Now, that's what he just did. He said, all the nicey-nicey, dear friends, I've been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this 
because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. Is that the same thing Jesus talked about with the weeds? Saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Whoa! The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they've denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. He said, if you say you can live any way you want to live and go to heaven, he said, you have denied your only Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. And he said right here, if you say the grace of God allows us to live anyway, how many know the grace of God doesn't allow us to live anyway? The grace of God transforms us. We'll talk about that in another day. So I'm going to let you read the rest of Jude. How about go home and read the rest of the book of Jude? Because it's really challenging. How many hear me? Uh, it's only uh, 23 verses, but uh, those 23 verses are packed with some real power. Number six. True believers may struggle in many ways, but they do have a heart change and deep within desire to do what is right. How many today would say, I have had a heart change. I desire to do what is right. I'll raise both my How many say, I've had a heart change? Come on. How many say, I desire to do what is right? Huh. How many would say, but sometimes I'm do, tempted to do what ain't right? Yeah, see, that's all of them. Now, here's, here's, what, here's what, I love the Apostle Paul. He's so practical. Ephesians 4. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as Gentiles do unbelievers. For they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Is that today? I mean, y'all, can we get real? Are you ever tempted when you're looking at the news on, your, uh, on the internet and all around you is scantily clad people doing all kinds of kissing and stuff or just bodies there? And there it is, all around the page. Have you ever seen that? Yes or no? Messes everywhere, y'all. Is it or not? So you got to make a choice every day. I ain't messing with that. I just want to read the news. Right? But all of, us, all of us are tempted at times, yes or no. I just remind myself every day, I love Jesus more. I love my wife more. Yes or no? Yeah. So again, he says, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, uh, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. That's a whole lot to say. You know what he said? You know, you've been born again. Jesus came into you. He cleansed you on the inside. And now on the inside, you've got a desire to live right. But sometimes your body wants to fling. And sometimes your mind is alive with things that it doesn't need to be alive with. And sometimes your emotions are aflame with things that used to rule your life. But you don't live that way anymore. Throw it off. Throw it off. In fact, the King James Bible says, put off the old man. And it literally means like you take off your coat. If I took my coat off, it's not what you see. It's not what I'm doing anymore. I'm not with it anymore. I'll take it away from me, right? So he says, put off the old man with his deeds. Here in the New Living Translation, he says, throw off your old sinful nature or the habits that the old sinful nature ingrained in your thoughts, in your emotions, in your physical body. Even though they come to tempt you and say, remember me? They're the little carrier. Remember me? Remember what we used to think? Remember what we used to feel? Remember what we used to do? And he's saying, throw it off. Then he says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Put on means from the inside out. Let who you are on the inside shine real big. Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. It says basically the same thing as Colossians chapter 3 as a close. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things on earth. Now, we could preach all day on that one. Think on things above, not on things on the earth. How many know what you think about drives your life? 
what my thoughts are like, me putting my hands on the steering wheel of my car, I choose where I go by turning the wheel. If I'm smart, I stay on the road, but I can get off in a ditch or a side road that will lead me somewhere I don't need to go. Yes or no? So he says, set your mind on things above, or, or the New Living Translation says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth, for you died. Your life is hid. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And whenever Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So put to death. One translation says, deprive your body of these things. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Well, I thought I was saved. Well, we are saved, but don't forget... The nature of sin left sepsis, left poison in our bodies, our minds, our emotions. And we have to, we have to be honest about that. When I first came to the Lord, I let, there was all kinds of poison from sin in me. And you know, some of it's still there. And I have to say, whoa, 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 what's that doing there 43 years later? All of us have to deal with that. Is that true? There are elements of pride. There are elements of anger. There are elements of self-centeredness. There's elements of flesh that will be with you lifelong. When you get away from God, they'll rise back up and say, remember, we used to be friends, but you left me alone. If you're smart, you say, yeah, we used to be friends and we never will be again. Get out of here. And that's what he's saying here. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Now, I could expound on this to a great degree, but I think you get what he's talking about. Anything that has to do with sex outside of the bonds of marriage, steer clear of it. And let's be real. Every day, all day, our culture is steeped in sex. Yes or no? Now, what does that mean? That means you and I as a believer got to make a decision. I'm completely devoted to Jesus. And if you're a young person, your sex drive is as strong as it'll ever be. And it gets strong and stays there a long time. Abraham had a sex drive at age 100. So figure it out. How many hear me? But the apostle Paul said, flee also youthful lusts. When you're young, these things are really strong. Why? God wants you to get married to a person of the opposite sex and have children. And if you didn't want sex, you wouldn't even be looking at them. Yes or no? Everybody's looking. Come on, y'all ain't that cool. Come on, y'all. Everybody's looking at me like, <laughs> you all the same? Give me a break. I'm saying this for the younger people here. You know, you got a strong sex drive. Thank God for the sex drive. Keep it in a box. Keep it. I don't have time to talk about this. I got a whole other series on sex I'm going to do one day. Now, I messed around, I hate to tell you all this, I messed around as a teenager, but when I was 13 years old, my pastor talked about fornication. Nobody knows what that is today. That's the, the Greek word is pornos, and it's any kind of illicit sex. And he just went into this big sermon about how you shouldn't do that before you get married. So by myself, nobody told me, my pastor didn't tell me to do it, my youth leader, my parents, or nobody I said, God, what he said made an indelible press on me. I was 13. And I said, whatever you need to do, keep me from having sex before I get married. It seems like a, a tall order, Lord, but help me not do that. I don't want to go into detail of this, but I can tell you that I didn't have sex before I got married. I didn't say I didn't mess around all, all together, but I didn't, I didn't do that. Because every time I tried, I got, can I be real? This is Sunday, can I be real? The Holy Spirit said, Mitch, what are you doing? Even though I was away from God smoking pot, what are you doing? Don't do that. And I get right up to it, and I know these girls were thinking, what's wrong with you? But I'd leave that place thinking, God, you're just amazing to me. And now I look back on my life, I'm 60 years old. I've been married 40 years to this lady right here. I gave my virginity to her. But can I say only by the grace of God? How many hear me? I'm, I'm, because it was up to me, it had been gone. So if you're, I, listen, can I be real? If I were you and you're a young person, I'd get off by myself. Or if you're an old person, I don't care. 
If you're not married, get off by yourself and say, God, keep me as the apple of your eye. Put your hand on me. And don't let me hurt you and me and other people. Keep me pure. And you say, well, pastor, I've already messed up. Spiritually, you can get your virginity back. Is that good? I mean, this don't get better than this. You get it? It's awesome. God will forgive. God will cleanse. But I can tell you, God will honor your commitments. If you're dating age, you're a teen, you're in your 20s, you're not married, vow to God. God, you keep me. And you know what? If you promise that to God, he will keep you.